John the Viking Mauser here with the Get Strong or Die podcast. Uh, today my guest is Tom Soroka. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I wanted to, uh, I've been watching you for a while. Uh, it'll be cool to get you on here, get a, a fellow Moss wrestler on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're few and far between, hard to find. Right, dude. I was I was actually bummed, like, because uh, I, I saw you at the Arnold last year, but we didn't get to uh, uh, go against each other because we were on op- we were opposite ends on the bracket. We both got eliminated early on. So yeah, I um that that uh that that Russian just took my soul. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know. He he, he 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 lured me in. Uh, I competed against him two years before that in Hungary. And uh, I didn't get a chance to actually. I was he was in the same weight class as I was. I didn't get a chance to pull against him. And then I saw him at the Arnold. And we were warming up together, and we broke a stick warming up. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, I got a chance. And yeah, now he beat me to oh, not even close. And I was like, all right, cool, cool story, man. <laughs> yeah, the thing about that guy, man, like uh, I think I have, um, I think I I have a different take on moss wrestling than a lot of people. My strategy is a little bit different. Um, yeah, but that guy uh, is like one of the most explosive human beings I've ever yeah. like. Yeah, so that was so that it's it's really funny you mentioned that. Like we were talking about that. We were talking about a bunch of guys at uh, 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 at Worlds like two years ago, and it's literally like contrasting styles. You have like the slow, steady puller, or you have like the super explosive guy. The guy that won Absolute Worlds two years ago and then ended up winning Worlds in the 125 class, I watched him do like a no-contact clean off a deficit in the training hall a couple days out with like 170 kilos. <laughs> nice. And I was just like, like I mean, I'm an Olympic style weightlifter. Like that's my primary background. And I was just like, uh, holy crap! Like <laughs> it was, yeah. And then, and then you had you had other dudes that were in there that just like it. it, it, it good thing Instagram doesn't do the 15 second clips anymore. Otherwise, like their deadlift videos wouldn't fit in a in an Instagram clip. Like they're just like <laughs> takes them like 20 seconds to pull from you know the floor to their hip with you know 300 plus kilos. I'm like, all right, good on you, buddy. Yeah, I, th- I think that's me. You're talking about me. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm the same way. I'm not fast at all on deadlifts. Like cleans and snatches, I'm good to go. Anything over 300 on the deadlift, I am slower than molasses. <laughs> yeah, that that dude was uh, extremely um, explosive, and I I can't remember exactly, but I know um, I never look at the brackets. I, I don't care who I go against. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I had no idea who I was going against, and we were on the. Um, uh, I made it to the to the main stage because they moved us at one point. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I went out, and um, I remember I went out and I wore my shirt because they made a big deal yeah. about wearing the shirt. So then I got out on stage and yeah. I walked, and I think it was Chad Clark is like flagging me down. He's like, "You got to get rid of your shirt. You got to get rid of your shirt." <laughs> so I take my shirt off and I walk out. I still don't know he's out there, but I haven't seen him because I've been distracted. Yeah, yeah. And I get out there and I'm like, "Who's this?" Like pro wrestling looking ripped up dude. yeah yeah dude. and the, the funny part about it is like he's not one of their top guys yeah like when it comes to the 125 weight class he's like two or three on their mm-hmm. roster so like stuff like the arnold is like his super bowl because he or like if they do the world cup every year like every other year he gets to do those but like when it comes to like the world championships or russia only second 
on like he doesn't usually get to go it's somebody else because there's somebody better than him which blows my mind yeah i mean that dude was a tank and i think yeah. um, the first uh the first round i want to say he he pulled me over um yeah i think and uh yeah it, i don't remember. but it was a weird pullover where um he was pulling me over and he got pulled up and we kind of like yeah met and i think i kind of just gave him the stick because i was really confused yeah yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if i could have won that I, I still don't know that was like a blur and then we, yeah. we sat back down the, the thing go ahead no the thing that the, the thing that blows that blows my mind about him is he if you watch him he competes in throwing shoes oh yeah i never even paid attention yeah that was one of the first things for some reason I noticed about him. And like, I have tried, like I have a pair of like turf shoes that I use for like my Highland games training and stuff like that. And I used to also wear them to do deadlifts and stuff like that. But like, once they get so worn out, like I refuse to do any sort of like lifting with them because they're super slick and I don't like not having any traction. Yeah. So I have no clue how he pulls in throwing shoes because he doesn't have the grippy ones. He's got like the rotation that are essentially just like slick, hard plastic on the bottom. Yeah, I don't know. I, I never even I never even looked at his uh, uh, shoes to be honest. Um, and those those matches were fast. I don't know if you watch. Yeah. That, if you watch most of my matches, they're, they're miser- yeah, yeah, they're miserable like ten minute grinds. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, those mat those were my fastest matches, and um, I managed to uh, catch him. Well, in the second round, he pulled and he. I just do remember that. Right I remember out that of the gate, and I just caught him like probably like yeah. at my ankles, as almost as far as I could stretch. Yeah, yeah. And I managed to beat him that round, and then the next round, I think he knew because he's good. I mean, he's real good, you know. And I think he, yeah, yeah. I think he knew that if he went fast enough, I wouldn't be able to catch him, and that's what he did. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. just pulled yeah. me to a point where. It was like if I hold on, I'm going to get ripped in half. So, <laughs> yeah, he's he's funny. I actually I talked to him every I talked to him every once in a while stuff like that. And he's a good dude. He's interesting. He's a, he's an interesting cat for sure. Uh, I'm not. Sure. Is his is his English any good? His English has gotten better. First time I met him, he couldn't speak any. But like last year at the Arnold, him and I were able to have a little bit of a conversation. Uh, his name's Anton Dementen. Okay. Um. Like, he's got a kick-ass name. But, yeah, his English is getting better. But, like, social media helps a ton because, like, I talked to a couple of the Russian, like, coaches and athletes and stuff like that, and Google Translate is a hell of a thing. I'll tell you what. Cool. Yeah, because I I actually seen him uh, walking uh, in in the expo, and we, like, crossed, and we were like, hey. We did, like, the hey. (laughs) And we we kind of, like, said hey, but it seemed like his English was a – Real well, so I didn't really push the envelope. I was just like, "Hey, man, you know." And then we kind of—he's super—he's super shy. Like I remember after we were done on the main stage that day, I took him over to Matt Vincent because he wanted to—he wanted to meet Matt and all that stuff. So I took him over there, and he said very little, just kind of like hi, like shook his hand, took a picture, and like that was it. So like I think he's just more of a shy person than anything. But yeah, he's a good dude. Like he's a—he's a, he's a four hundred kilo deadlifter. Oh yeah, like he's yeah he's he's stupid strong and like he's he teaches Moss too like he's 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 working his way up their like their coaching tree right now so like he, he's a good dude I like him a lot very cool well, hopefully he's there because I'm not competing but um you know and they always they always have the schedule just crazy there but depending on how the schedule is I'm hoping I can make it over and at least see 
um, some of the yeah. wrestling and, and there's a bunch of people I know that are competing. Um, there's a yeah, guy from I, West Virginia and then, you know, uh, Tim Sowards. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're doing it a little different this year. Like it's still going to be two days of competition, but like, um, like, so they split up the men this year. They're doing a 125 and a 125 plus, which is good for me. Um, but some of the guys they have listed in the 125, like, I don't know if they've ever been 125 and they just put that down. Um, so we'll see how it works out. But like, as O told me the other day that there's nine in the 125 and there's eight in the 125 plus. So they're going to have to split it up over two days. Like they're going to do prelims on uh, Friday and then finals on Saturday. And then I think he said the women might be all on Sunday. So we'll see how it goes. Like, but it, it's, it's a different schedule and a different um, divisions than they did last year. Because there's, there, there's no lightweight women this year. It's every, all the women are together in one weight class. That's cool. Um, yeah, I, I, so stuff like that, I don't um, – and maybe maybe I'm just biased because I'm fat. But, you know, I don't think uh, the weight classes matter, matter too much. Um, obviously, yeah. if, if they're way bigger, you can get pulled over and stuff. But uh, I think right, there's, there's right. ways to mitigate that. Yeah, I mean, like, I honestly, like, I, I like the challenge, um, but I also don't like getting ragdolled by the 400-pounders, because, um, like, I just, there's there's just, there's just nothing I'm going to be able to do against that person, so it was funny, I actually was purposely trying to put on weight for the Arnold this year, um, and I, luckily, I wasn't succeeding very well. And then O told us like two weeks ago that they were talking about doing a 125 class. So I was like, all right, like put the cookies down. Like it's, we gotta get, we gotta get, we gotta get back going in the other direction here. So if if you got cookies, just send them my way. Yeah, right. No, literally, <laughs> like I, I'm stock, I'm stockpiling the most stuffed Oreos right now because those are uh, apparently disappearing in the Midwest. Oh yeah, is that a thing? Dude, they're amazing. Like, listen, like if you if, if you're borderline diabetic, don't touch them. Um, I'll I'll get them for you. But uh, they're just yeah, they're 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 amazing. Um, and what, it was really funny. One of my lifters was up here last weekend, and they have them at the the store by her, and she brought me two packages because nice. I can't find them up here. <laughs> Very cool. Um, but those are my jam. <laughs> so so let's change gears. Um, let, let's get um, our listeners to know you um, and your background sure. and stuff. I know you kind of started in weightlifting, but let's go back to the beginning and see. Uh, you know, what got you into strength training and lifting barbells and doing crazy stuff? Yeah, yeah. So, like, all the way back, um, I was a typical high school football player. I did track and field. Um, and I took a weightlifting class, essentially. So, like, when I was in high school, we had the option of taking regular PE, or if you were an athlete, you could take a, a, a strength and conditioning class. Um, and it was the offensive line coach for our football team. And he was just like, yeah, you're taking this class. Like you don't have an option. Um, and so from like my sophomore year on, I had this class as a PE class where we did, you know, back squats, power cleans, bench press, um, uh, and military press. Those were our four main lifts that we focused on and stuff like that. And I just kind of like just stuck to it. Like I enjoyed lifting. I enjoyed like the, 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 the fact that I didn't like we played on, I played on a really shitty football team. Uh, like I think we, we won a total of like 10 or 12 games, my four years of high school. So it was really nice to be involved in something that didn't, I didn't have to rely on my teammates to do well at, um, which is also why I gravitated towards track and field. And then in college, I ended up going, uh, to school just to throw. Um, I was a three time all American in the shot put, uh, really enjoyed that. And then we had a guy, um, you might know him, uh, Terry Smith. He's kind of made the strength circles and stuff like that. Um, 
He's a Highland Games guy. He's competed in powerlifting and stuff like that. And he was a big conjugate West Side guy. And so my freshman year, he kind of took me under his wing, showed me the conjugate system, showed me how he implemented it, showed me all the different information that was out. This was before Instagram, obviously. You had some YouTube clips, but it was mostly just like Elite FTS articles and whatever you could find on bodybuilding.com. And so I just started kind of diving headfirst into like the conjugate stuff. I really like the dynamic effort and the max effort. And like the, I just like variety because I get bored really easily with that kind of stuff. And then uh, um, after my sophomore year, our strength and conditioning coach at the school left. He went to Drake University, so we didn't really have anybody to write programs. So like me and a couple of the throwers, I'm like, guys, I'll write us stuff. And we can just kind of see how it goes. And so I started writing the strength and conditioning programs. And, you know, we were getting stronger. We were having fun training and stuff like that. And, like, we were throwing far. Um, and then after college, uh, I graduated uh, with a, a degree in exercise science and then uh, physical education, K-12 cert. And my first job was a, a assistant sales manager at an L.A. Fitness. And I absolutely hated it. <laughs> Um, and then I got a, I was also personal training at like a mom and pa, a, a soccer mom, like training studio and stuff like that. And then I was, I got hired on as a throws coach at a local college here. So I was coaching the throwers and then they asked me to start writing their strength and conditioning workouts and stuff like that. And then, you know, I got a teaching job and all that stuff. So I was doing that kind of thing. Um, and then I got a call randomly from Glenn Penley, uh, in like 2010, 2011 or something like that. And he essentially like, he knew a friend of mine. And they just got to talking and she was like, yeah, I think he could be a good weightlifter because she used to train with Glenn and trained under him and stuff like that. And I was, I would run her studio for her when she was out of town. And one day she saw me screwing around with a barbell. Like I was doing one arm snatches waiting for a client to come in. And she was like, do you want me to show you how to do that the right way? And I was like, no. And so she showed me anyways. And like, I, I worked up to like, I think I did like a 225, like the ugliest snatch you've ever seen, like no contact, just no hook grip, just ripped it off the floor. And she was like, hey, why don't you get involved in weightlifting? And I was like, no, that sounds really stupid. Um, and then like two weeks later, Glenn Penley called me and he invited me out to Cal Strength. This is back when Donnie and John and all them were out there. And I, I went out there because I'm like, you know what, I can learn how to do the snatches and the clean the right way and teach my athletes and, you know, whatever. And I ended up being out there full-time training. I, moved, I I put in my letter of resignation at my school and my coaching job, and I moved out there, and I was training with him for six months, and then we moved to South Carolina where MDUSA was. And I was there until um, January of, I can't remember, 2015 or 2016, um, and then I left the team. Uh, just difference of opinion with the coaches and stuff like that. And then I ended up moving back to Chicago, um, and I originally opened Big Shoulders CrossFit, and I had a weightlifting club that started out of there. Um, and the, the, this whole time, I was do I started had started doing remote coaching right at the end of my MDUSA days. I was coaching weightlifters because they had come train MDUSA with us or come to a workshop, and they were like, "Hey, would you write me training programs?" So I'm like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Started out with like just four athletes, and then it kept growing um, year to year. And then when I moved here, I had a physical location that I was training weightlifters out of. And then like a year into that, I just, you know, decided that like the CrossFit just wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, I really enjoyed the sports performance side of things and the weightlifting side of things. So another lifter um, that was at M uh, MDUSA with me named Mike Zella, he actually is from the area as well. And I was, I'm friends with his wife. We threw um, in the same conference in college and stuff like that. And uh, he ended up moving back to the area at the same time I was selling my CrossFit. So he started working for me at a standalone facility called the Strength Agenda. And we were running sports performance and the weightlifting team. And then just this past uh, or last year, last November, 
we moved from a 2,200 square foot facility to a 5,500 square foot facility. And that's where I'm currently doing this interview from is our new space. And, you know, we have a large extensive remote team that we coach. We have the in-house team that we coach. And then we have our sports performance program with some of our team contracts with baseball and rugby and stuff like that. And then on top of that, um, I do Moss Wrestling, as you mentioned. Uh, I got into that in 2017, and it's a blast. I really enjoy I just really enjoy just that one-on-one, like, physical combat style of, of the training and the sport itself. I still compete in the Highland Games. Like, throwing is always going to be my first love. Um, so I'm on the pro circuit for the Highland Games. Um, I'm pretty dog shit at most of the events except for Caber. That's my, that's my favorite event. And that's probably the only reason I still get pro invites is because I can turn the big Cabers that a lot of the other guys can't. Um... But yeah, that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Like, I just like the barbell. I like just the challenge of things. Like, the, the a thing that I've recently gotten into is stone lifting. Um, my buddy Ryan Stewart out in Utah. I was out there for a weightlifting competition coaching, and he called me and was like, "Hey, I know where you're at. Like, these are a couple of stones that are close to you. If you have some time, like, go out there and go lift them." And I literally, like, I took two, three of my weightlifters with me. After we were done on a Sunday, we went up into the mountains. I was posting videos about it because it was just fucking cool. And, like, you know, we just we went up into the mountains, found the stone. It was, like, a 280-pound, like, oddly shaped, like, slick. It was wet. It was snowing. And I went out there and, like, lifted this thing, put it up on my shoulder. And I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> so, like, I do that on the side. And, like, it just, it, like, I have sandbags here at the gym. Like, I have sandbags that go from, like, 50 up to 300 pounds. I play around with those more than I do barbells. Like I do the barbell stuff because I have to for some of my some of the sport training and stuff like that. But I just enjoy the more odd object stuff. Like I'm always trying to hook up sleds to like ropes and pulling it and pushing it and stuff like that. Lifting the sandbags. We just got a stone of steel, um, a loadable stone of steel, which I haven't had a chance to play with yet. A Mauser block is on my list of uh, equipment to purchase and stuff like that because I like playing around with that thing too. I've done that at a couple of strongman contests now, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, I just, it's just, it keeps me from being bored when I'm bored, bad things happen. So I just try to keep myself entertained. And, uh, I just, yeah, just, I just like lifting all the odd object stuff and just finding things to continually challenge myself as I get older. You're listening to get strong or die. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one online coaching. So if you are looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions, or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn, or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one support from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram. Very cool. Uh, there's man. There's a lot of stuff to talk about there. Um, we, we may have to do uh, a totally other another podcast. There's a, there's a lot, down, of, lot to talk I'm about. Uh, and um, you're, you say you're in uh, you're in Chicago now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm born and raised on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I just I've just lived in a couple of different parts of the city. Very cool. So I actually I'm planning to um, come to Chicago this year. Uh, there's a guy that does um, some like military combative type stuff. I'm supposed to go train, yeah. and, and he actually trains um, Ed Cohen. So I, I'm kind of going to try to use that to <laughs> that would be cool. wedge yeah. myself into, is, to meeting. That is a great guy. I finally met him. Like it really sucks. I didn't realize he was from Chicago. I didn't realize. Let me rephrase that. I didn't. Re- I knew he was from Chicago. I didn't realize how close to me he was. 
And so I finally got to meet Ed uh, about two or three years ago. Really nice guy, really down to earth, just wants to help people move better. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I really appreciate having guys like that still in the strength community that want to, you know, give back and stuff like this. I definitely take advantage of that if you can. But, yeah, if you're in the area, just shoot me a message. Like, we're, we're about 20 minutes from O'Hare Airport. So you're always welcome to come in and play around with some of the toys and do what you got to do. Yeah, very cool. Um, and if you don't have a, a Mauser block by then, I'll, I'll bring one up and we can play around with it. <laughs> now you're happy with a good time. <laughs> For sure. Uh, so let's get into uh, the, the meat and potatoes here. Um, I wanted to talk about um, uh, the head through on um, the Olymp- Olympic uh, lifting and, and right. maybe, maybe the press and stuff. I don't want to get yeah. too much. Uh, I think what we talked about yeah. on Instagram um, was specifically the split jerk. So I'm not yeah. – um, I'm not concerned with uh, the squat jerk or or push jerks or any of those um, things. I think J- just the split jerk. Squat, just... the squat jerks are not strong people. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The Chinese are like the strongest pound for pound athletes in the world, and they do it really well. Yeah. I just my shoulders would explode if I tried to squat jerk with anything more than 100 kilos. Yeah, I mean, I have my my own opinions on all that as well, and um, yeah, I just we would be here all day. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> so, no, I. Um, I, I, I'm not, I'm not even a pro power jerk. I like, I have lifters that come in. They're like, can I push jerk? I'm like, let's do split jerk first. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a time and a place. Um, I think, uh, I think also it's hard to explain, I guess, but I think that, so when people like something, um, they want, yeah. they want that to be the, uh, you know, the say all end all kind of thing. They want that to be a cure all. Right. They want it to be yeah. the the top, right? I mean, and it's not just yeah. with strongman or or weightlifting or um, you know. I mean, you'll talk to a yoga instructor and they'll talk about how strong they got from doing yoga, and it's like, no, you didn't. And yeah, you know, now is yoga cool? Yeah, yeah, yoga's cool. I like yoga, but it's its own thing, yeah. and, and like it's good at its thing, and and it might be okay at some other stuff, but um, yeah. So I think like you know, you'll get. Um, I think the push jerk is probably good. Well, if you're going to jerk in strongman and it's going to be for reps and a timed event, I think a push jerk is a viable option. Um, that's what, that's what, that's what I always say. I was like for CrossFit, like high rep stuff, push jerk is the way to go. Strongman as well. Like my, my athletes and stuff like that, that when we do strongman contests, if it's a max, if it's a max log, I'm going to split jerk. If it's not and it's for reps, it's either going to be a push press or a push jerk. Like it's just it's just faster. Yeah, and I think too something that's odd that's all, that I've always found was odd with um, uh, people that did push jerk, even in whether it's CrossFit or Strongman or whatever. It's a timed event for reps. Um, they still split their feet and bring them and split, and, and they're basically doing jumping jacks for this entire. Yeah. I, yeah. I never I never understood that either. I think. Um, I um, I had some nerve issues at one point, and my, my right arm was messed up, and I had to do push jerks at a competition um, one time because I couldn't press very well. Yeah. And um, I just put my feet where I would land and just did it from there. Yeah. And it was like the amount of energy reserve, like that I was able to, to not yeah. expend by doing that was phenomenal. I just I, I think a yeah, lot, yeah. Of, but but I think like a lot of weightlifters have never done it that way. And so when they no. when they teach a strong man or they see it, they say, "Oh, you should be splitting your feet." I, I don't think they, yeah. the, you know, they, they haven't done that right. And it's just like when yeah, I'm a, 
No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I was going to say, people need to stay in their lanes. Yeah. Weightlifters aren't strongmen and strongmen aren't weightlifters. Like, and that's, that's the big thing is like, I get people that'll come to me and be like, well, how would you do this? I'm like, well, here's how I would do this. But like, I'm not you. Like, right. let's find the way that works for you. I hate when weightlifters sit there and got, like, and that was kind of the point I made when I, when I commented on your post originally is like, you were going to get some dumb, dumb that was going to look at your post and be like, you're using the greatest like heavyweight of all time to just to push your point. Like I'm not like him. Like shut up. We know you're not like him because you aren't lifting the weights that he's lifting. Like he did his, he did things his own way. Like calm down. That's not what we're trying to say here. Yeah, yeah, and, and I I understood that um, for the most part. Uh, you know, and and I think um, it, it's really hard in a Instagram story because it's 15 seconds. Yeah, and and you can't put too many words on there because nobody will read it. Um, no, <laughs> so, no, no, no. So you kind of like slap it up there and just hope that people understand the context too. So there, you're kind of, um, you know, if I could write an ebook on every story, <laughs> you know, right, right, but, right. But I, I don't have that luxury, so I kind of got to just uh, rock and roll. And and I also make these right. things very quickly. I mean, I'm like, for sure, punching it in. Um, so anyway, uh, so head through. Um, so. Let's talk about what is head through uh, in, in your mind. Like what 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 does that mean to you if if you're telling so, someone this? Yeah. So like when it comes to technique, like if I'm working with weightlifters in particular, because I'll be honest with you, I uh, I've actually had some really good conversations with your brother about log and block pressing because I've just noticed like. I have to train my lockout completely different for doing logs and block presses versus like a barbell, just based solely on the position of your hands and how you're locking that out overhead. But like when we're talking about like with a barbell stuff like that, head through just essentially to me means like if I see you put your head through, I knew I know you're using your entire upper body to support the weight. And what that means essentially is like as you push your head through your upper back musculature, which is way bigger and way stronger than your shoulders, essentially, is being, you know, engaged. It's being supported. Like I always tell people, like when I'm working with them, squeeze your shoulders up into your ears and just get that whole upper back engaged. You really can't do that when you're leaning back. Now. The other issue is I'm a big proponent of do as I say, not as I do. Because if you ever watched any of my old weightlifting videos when I was with Glenn and all those guys, I was a horrible split jerker. Like I did the old like Vasily lean back and lock it out overhead and just hope for the best. Like I used more of my chest and my shoulders than my actual upper back. But there's just a ton of, I don't know if you want to say research or data or whatever that just supports like the more the, the, the more of the bigger, stronger muscles you can use to support it overhead, like the more stable you're going to be. And so when I'm talking about head through, that's essentially more what I'm emphasizing is getting your back involved in supporting the lift. Whereas opposed to if the bar is out in front of your head a little bit, that's more of your pack and that's more of your shoulder, primarily your shoulders. And like the shoulders, just uh, unless you've got these gigantic boulders you know, sitting on top of your arms, like most people don't have the shoulder musculature and the strength to support a bar that's sitting out in front of them. And that's going to lead to like AC joint issues. And like you were talking about, like people are hurting the rotator cuffs and stuff like that. So when I'm talking about like head through or things like that, it's more just about what muscles you're using to stabilize and hold that lockout overhead. Okay. And I'm glad you brought up your own video because I did watch um, some of your, your videos um, and, um, yeah, I wasn't seeing a lot of head through, um, no, on, on the, no, I was horrible. 
on the split jerks. And um, th- but this is something that uh, I find very interesting in weightlifting. And um, yeah. and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I, I, what yep. I'm saying there's a lot of people that, that that say what you just said. They say do what I say and not as I do. And I find, yeah. but I find that um, there's a YouTube video actually. It's called uh, Top Ten um, Heaviest Clean and Jerks in History. And, yeah, and you can you can watch it. And uh, there are doubles like because like one guy will like set the record and then break it by a kilo. So it's not actually ten different human beings, but it's the top ten. Right. Right. Um, the largest uh, or heaviest clean and jerks in history. And when you watch the yeah. video, I would say, um, I didn't, I didn't write it down, but I would say at least half the people, um, and, and people, not, not of the 10, actually half the people yeah, yeah. are doing the clean and jerk without their head through and half are doing it with their head through. Right. Um, and I, I find that, um, very, very interesting because you hear so many people saying that you have to put your head through, but I would say 50% of the field, and it's probably actually more than 50% weren't putting their head through. I would have to go back and look again. And some of the footage is like very old and kind of um, um, hard to tell. Like there was a, there's this one jacked looking guy. I can't remember his name. He's got like the uh, Don Fry mustache and his video. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, his video is very, very grainy and it was hard to tell um, what exactly he was doing. Um, yeah, and I think also it's something that needs to be done. Is when I look at these things, the clean and jerk is fast, right? Now it's it's not a snatch, but it's pretty fast. Um, yeah, and it a lot of the time it's hard to determine: are they putting their head through for position, or is it simply moving forward? Because when you step forward to bring your feet back together the head has to move forward because that's just how locomotion works, right? Like right, right, your, right. your head has to be over your foot. Um, and when you put a lot of those videos into slow motion, uh, you'll find that, that the position was locked out with the head behind the bar. And then as they move to standing, the head travels to in front of the bar. Um, and I think that's important to note when, when you're, when you're watching these videos that they need to be right. seen in slow motion. Yeah. So there's when, uh, there's a lot to cover there in that, you know, synopsis you just gave. Um, the big thing is this. When you're looking at, especially, like, the clean and jerk and, like, the top ten clean and jerks all time and stuff like that. When it comes to, like, the super heavyweights, you have two types of super heavyweights, essentially. You have the guys who are just ridiculously strong, and they're just good at moving barbells. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, they don't need coaching. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, it just does not matter. They're, like, that bar is going to get over their head no matter what you tell them. And then there are going to be guys that are just all about finesse. Um, and I would venture to say, on average, the guys in those videos, now keep in mind, that yes, they're putting together some of the top 10 lifts of all time, but the guys that were putting their head through on the lifts are not as strong as the guys that weren't. Um, I always use American lifters as this gauge, but there was a there was a, a junior lifter that I got to um, I, I got to know him when he was a senior and stuff like that. His name was um, Caleb Ward. He trained with Glenn when from the time he was a little boy and stuff like that. Um, he had set the American record, uh, the junior American record, at like two oh two, I believe, in the clean and jerk, and absolute flawless technique, head through all of that stuff. Um, 
but Glenn used to make fun of him saying that like he couldn't push press 70 or not push press. He couldn't strict press 70 kilos overhead if his life depended on it. Like just did not have that upper body strength. Now, another gentleman that I trained with in the same system named Spencer Mormon ended up breaking Caleb's record at 203. He had more of that like bar directly over the head or even more of that lean back. And Spencer and I used to go back and forth with like push press. Like Spencer could do, you know, 352, 160 kilos for like reps on the push press. Like he was just an overall stronger athlete. So I think that has a lot to do with it too. Now me in particular, I went into weightlifting being able to push press almost 400 pounds. Like that was my thing. Like I remember very clearly getting yelled at by both Glenn and Donnie in a training session. Like we did a complex where it was like push presses plus jerks. And right around like 170 kilos or like 375 pounds, I made the push press and I missed the jerk. And like I got yelled at for it because they're like, that is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Like how did you miss the jerk? Like you made the push press, like no problem kind of a deal. Um, so that was my issue is like I came into weightlifting with a surplus of strength. So if like the technique wasn't there, I just muscled it. A lot of those guys that have gotten to the top, like they have the technique with the strength. But at the end of the day, they're going to let their strength take over and they're going to let their strength do what their strength is going to do for them. So I think that's usually in my experience what you're going to see. And as a coach, it's on you to take what you have with the athlete and build from there. But like, I don't like the coaches that try to 100% just completely retool everything. Like I have lifters here who are never gonna have picture perfect textbook technique when it comes to the snatch and the clean and jerk. And that's okay. I have girls that like out squat my guys and they're just really strong overhead and they have a great pull and stuff like that. Like in an ideal world, they probably should power lift, but they don't want to, they wanna do the Olympic lifting. So it's just one of those things where, you know, I work with what they got and we try to tweak things to make their movement a little bit more efficient. But like at the end of the day, like if they're like, oh, that didn't like, that didn't look great. I'm like, I don't care. It was a legal lift and you, you nailed it. Like who cares? I think that's a bigger thing to focus on instead of when it comes to like the head through versus, you know, not getting the head through and stuff like that. It's like, were their arms locked out? Did they hold the bar steady overhead? Okay, then who cares whether their head through the head was through or not? But there are some coaches that are literally going to just rake a lifter over the coals if they don't do like a textbook jerk. Like I mean, two two lifters that come to mind right now uh, is uh, Hussein Razazadeh, who had the world record in the clean and jerk from Iran. His arms were so damn short, there's no way his head was getting through when he clean and jerked big powerful guy clean and jerk like 260 something kilos i want to say 63 and now we have a guy right now lasha talakadze who's the georgian he's the current reigning world champion um probably going to win the olympics this year you know is he's going to probably be the first human being to snatch 500 pounds and clean and jerk 600 pounds if he doesn't get injured and he gets his head through but it's just it's just the technique that works for him he is a very strong athlete so he kind of bucks my whole thought process there because, I mean, there's videos of him doing um, 308-pound you know, muscle snatches with no contact, with looking like a, a, a paperweight. But he, it's just his style. He's got really long arms. He's got a little bit of a longer torso. So he gets that head through, uses his upper back more. Whereas Razazadeh, I think, is like 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and he's just as wide. And he is just ridiculously stupid strong, and he just doesn't put his head through. It's just He just works with what they have. And it gets the job done for them. So I just, I, I feel like people, a lot of people play semantics with the head through versus not head through. Is this good technique? Is this like, 
at the end of the day, did they make the lift or not? Right. And I, I agree with that 100%. Um, and uh, it, within the context of, um, I think, my post, uh, you know, my, yeah. my, uh, my most of my posts, uh, I would say 90% or more, um, are geared towards um, strongmen, you know. I, right. I have trained and dealt with some weightlifters, um, and, and I was friends with Don McCauley, and I, I was – uh, certified under him in the catapult method, and um, and I, I trained a few people, but most of my um, yeah. stuff is geared towards strongmen, and um, I think um, one of the arguments in weightlifting I hear a lot is like, and you actually see this with a lot of sports now, like they say that, uh, for example, high bar squatting, right? They say, well, we want a high bar squat because those are the positions that we um, are in when we snatch or, or clean or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. a taller position or whatever. Um, I don't necessarily believe in that. Um, I, I think yeah. that, I just think that, um, I think that that can happen. I think you can get in this like motor movement pattern and, and then try to do that with other stuff. Um, but honestly, I usually find that happens with people that were specialists in a certain sport yeah. or, or they played right. no sports ever. Um, yes. Because I know that like I can low bar squat and catch a clean and they do not affect one. It's two different things. Like right. it, it's never going to affect one's never going to affect the other. Um, so I don't necessarily uh, believe in that, but I know a lot yeah. of weightlifters do. And if you're going to take that route and believe in that, then I think most strong men um, are doing some type of strict pressing. Um, yeah. And in my opinion, leaning back is the superior method for pressing. Okay. Um, yep. In in the Olympics, when they did the press, they would lean back, and they even they eventually even developed like it was basically a jerk, but it was just using your upper body where they would yep. kind of launch it and dip back under, and they would end up with their head well behind the bar. Some of these guys yeah, were like yeah. basically bench pressed and, and holding the bar Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, perfectly fine overhead. And then, and then there were some judging issues and, and it became a nightmare. And then they started saying like, you had to, to come back upright and put your head through. So the judge knew that you had finished the press. Um, and obviously I wasn't around back then. I'm assuming there was probably several like people may not have had it locked out or it was questionable yeah, yeah. and the judge gave it to him. So, so they just said, Hey, you gotta, what you can do whatever you want, but then you got to stand up. Right. And, yeah. uh, and they kind of do that in strongman now, right? Like you can jerk a lot, right, right. but you have to stand up and, um, right, right. And, and you can, you know, I mean, you see it, especially like circus dumbbell, they'll throw that thing up and their one foot will be up by their ear and the other will be out in the crowd somewhere and they have to bring it back together yeah. to stand up. Um, it just shows control. And uh, I think I think that that um, I think a lot of people misconstrue that head through cue um, yeah. on a lot of pressing, not necessarily jerking, but pressing, and they think that they have to do that uh, or that that's a stronger press. When I right. I don't think that's the case, um, as displayed in the Olympics and and as displayed by all the best pressers um, in the world. Yeah. Now. If you're going to believe, and, and whether it's right or wrong, you know, it, I honestly think this is purely opinion. Um, if you're going to believe that your motor patterns that you're doing in the gym are going to affect other movements you're doing in the gym, 
then when you do a jerk, it should resemble your press, or you have to change the way you're pressing. Right. Um, and, and because I, I know that that, and again, I don't necessarily believe that, but if that's going to be one of the arguments, it has to be, um, it has to be taken note of, right? Like if you're going to say, hey, you have to high bar squat because that's the position you end up in. Well, then when you jerk, then you, you would have to end up in the same position as the press, or when right. you press, you have to end up in the same position as the jerk. Otherwise, right. there would be no carryover. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, man, go, going back to the the high bar versus the low bar, real quick. I I'm, I'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you. I think a lot of the issue with weightlifting and the low bar squat is where it came from in terms of being an all or nothing type deal. And for some reason, um, like I don't know too much about the guy. I don't know a lot about him. I don't really care if I'm being 100% honest, but I think Ripito, when he was pushing the low bar squat, he just pissed off a lot of people, and I really think that's where the animosity towards the low bar squat came from, if I'm being honest, because I've seen weightlifters that do low bar squat. I've played around with the low bar squat, and I know weightlifters that primarily train the low bar squat and they're just as strong. They're, 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 they're good to go. Like they can still hit really good depth with a low bar and blah, 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 blah. I honestly, it's just one of those things. Like I think also powerlifting has bastardized the low bar squat in terms of leverages and trying to gain more pounds for their total and sacrificing movement and then you get them blowing out their backs because they're training heavy conventional deadlifts and they're essentially doing like heavy like rdl squats almost with like the way they're low barring and stuff like that and i think that also has created animosity i think a lot of people in the sport of weightlifting that have an issue with the low bar back squat cannot actually say anatomically and 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 logically why they don't like the low bar back squat you know so I'm always going to lean towards high bar just simply because that's how I was taught. That's primarily the way I train. I feel like low bar squat places the emphasis a little bit more posterior chain. And that's why we do pulls and stuff like that. And I try to, not to blow out people's backs. Um, but also, I don't feel like I have the experience or the knowledge base to really teach people how to low bar squat the right way. Nor do I like are there anybody that I can really ask? Like I've actually had some good conversations with Ed Cohn about low bar versus back or a high bar back squat. And he literally has said the same thing I have. He goes, what's going to allow you to get your legs as strong as possible. Just do that. He goes something like, like he was talking about how like Dan green does a lot of front squats and he's a power lifter, but like he swears by front squats in terms of building leg strength. I'm a firm believer in, you know, front squats as well for weightlifting over back squats. Like I tell my lifters all the time, if you got to pick one, do the front squat. Like, it just, I don't know. I, I, I think the low bar back squat versus the high bar back squat is a stupid argument. And I think people need to just let it go. Um, because for the most part, I think it's just because they're upset that power lifters do it. And they don't want to be, they don't want to be compared to power lifters. And Mark Ripito said that it's the best way to squat and people don't like Mark Ripito. If I had to be honest, like that's really what it is. Now going back to the pressing stuff, yeah, um, I, I I can't stand people that deal in absolutes with that stuff. Um, I'll tell you what, if they they ever decide to bring the bring the press back, I'll be the first one to sign up for the next closest USAW competition that I can find because I would crush it in the press. Um, 
but it's not a thing and it's not ever probably ever going to be a thing unless you do some sort of an unsanctioned event i know there's a couple different federations out there that you know use the press and stuff like that i wish lifters trained more press and stuff like that uh i try to do it with my lifters and i get a lot of belly aching um so we don't do it as much uh like i like i i think push press is a happy alternative to kind of working the overload that 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 lockout and stuff like that but yeah no i'm with you like everything can feed off of the other you know um you can get better doing all this different stuff you don't need to strictly focus on what is going to make you a better weightlifter and only do that like I have my lifters do box squats my lifters do sumo deadlifts Um, they pull sleds they lift sandbags like they do this stuff just because it's kind of like I equate it to like pitching we do a lot of sports performance here we have this kid who um, pretty much does pitching year round and then around the same time coincidentally right before baseball season starts he's always complaining of elbow tendonitis and I'm like, well, you're literally doing the same thing every day for 12 months straight. What did you think was going to happen? And the same goes for weightlifting. Like, I program more of like a conjugate-esque type approach where I'm rotating every three weeks. I rotate the main heavy movements that we're pushing because I don't want people to get hurt doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. You know, we might not even do clean and jerks for a whole training block we'll do like either hang cleans or we'll do like push press plus jerks where we're not going to be working at as high of percentages on our jerks because your press is going to limit you know what you can do on that complex and stuff like that but yeah it's one of those things like you can't deal in absolutes and there's always something to learn by you know training a different way even if it's just for a little bit like if you're far out from a competition like getting stronger in an area you're weak in is not going to hurt you so, like, just quit it. Like, quit it with the arguing about the low bar. Quit it about, well, it just doesn't mimic your jerk technique. Yeah, you know what? Neither is missing a snatch, but, you know, you do it anyways. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I would agree with 99% of um, what you said about the squad. I think it doesn't – I don't think it matters either way. Um, I think what matters is your program. Um, and I think a lot of uh, current programming – um, you know, especially, and I'm not talking about like necessarily people that are getting coached by qualified coaches. I'm talking about people that are getting on, like going online and saying, okay, I'm going to do Bulgarian or, uh, you know, yeah. they're kind of doing their own thing. I think a lot of people, um, and unfortunately that's the majority of people, right? The majority right. of people lifting don't have coaches. Um, and, yeah. and they're also not doing well. <laughs> so, right. Right. Uh, so I'm talking about that group of people. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for example, I mentioned Bulgarian, right? So the Bulgarians were, were squatting, um, you know, every day pretty much, right? Yeah. And, and I don't know for sure. I wasn't around back then, but I'm sure they were high bar squatting, and I'm sure they, they probably weren't wearing belts because a lot of weightlifters don't wear yeah. belts. And um, if they had anything on their knees, it was probably like a sock that they had pulled up over their knee. Um, yeah, it was like ace, it was like ace wraps essentially. Yeah, and, and that's if that right. Um, and but all that stuff is self limiting, right? Like so, you're high barring, you're squatting as low as you can, you're not wearing a belt. Um, it's really limiting the amount of weight you can move, and I think that's necessary if you're going to do it every day. Like if. Right. If I had somebody doing Bulgarian, there is no way that I'm going to suggest them to low bar squat. 
um, they, right. they wouldn't survive. You just would not make it yeah. through the training cycle. Um, now, if right. you had a weightlifter that was doing a different type of program and was only squatting once a week, I may right. suggest to that person, like, hey, like, we want to move some weight. Why don't we get the bar lower? Why don't we put a belt on? Why don't we really, right. you know? Um, so I think that's when it matters. I don't think... I don't think it matters in most other instances. I think you have to figure out what plugs into your program the best. And um, and I think that's what the press too, right? Like you have to be smart about how you plug the press in. And unfortunately, right. the thing about the press is uh, when it went out of the Olympics, it, it, it went out of favor with, with these, um, with these athletes and these people. Yeah. Um, and that's because, and this is with any sport, I'm not picking on weightlifting. This is with literally with any sport. Um, yeah. People people only want to play their sport. Now, yeah. again, if if I come to you and you're my coach, that's a different demographic. I'm still talking about the majority. People just yeah. want to play their sport, so the press isn't in there anymore. I don't want to do it because it's not in my sport. Right. So it's like a double edged sword. Like you're, you're not. It's it's all. It not only is it not emphasized because that's what should happen, yeah. right? That's what should. Right. It's hey, it's not in there. We're going to do it, but it's not a priority. But now yeah. it's not just not a priority; it's just not. Yeah. Um, so it's, so it, it, it's really funny you mention that. So like, I have a chart. I'll share it with you after we're done with this. Yeah, you might find it interesting. But it's an old it's an old Russian chart that Don actually gave me. It's a power ratio graph, and essentially what it is is it takes your back squat and it give based on what your back squat is, it gives you like seven different lifts of where your lifts should be. Oh, yeah. One of them is a dead. One of them is a deadlift, which weightlifters don't primarily train deadlift. Which I found interesting that it was on there. Another one was push press, and then another one was strict press. Like I found it really interesting that like of all the variations of lifts and maxes and stuff like that, those three were on there. So like I have a PR board at the gym, and you want to know what three variations of lifts like I have on there that I track are those three because I send that chart out to people. And I say, okay, let's see where you're at and let's see where you're weak at kind of thing like that. And, yeah, it's just one of those things I like to operate on, like, strong is never a bad thing. Like, let's find a different way to get you stronger. Like, I do stuff. Like, I have an athlete who she doesn't have as strong of a grip. So she does farmer's carries in the gym. She's a fucking weightlifter. She's probably never going to do a strongman contest a day in her life. But she, you know... The farmer's handles are, if they're going to help her build a stronger grip, like she was saying yesterday, her hands were sore from doing them. Like, we're going to do it and kind of use that to build her grip up. Like, it just blows my mind, like you said, how pigeonholed people get. And it's usually the people that aren't following a structured program with a qualified coach. They're usually doing their own thing and being like, well, this is how the Georgians train, or this is how the Chinese train. And it blows my mind when people start comparing themselves to the Chinese. So I'm like, you have no idea how they train. Oh, yeah. They I mean, are. They are variation and like accessory whores when it comes to the lifts. Well, and and their 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 base, their you know, it's their job. Yeah, I mean, you have to yeah. you have to factor that in too. I mean, like if right, right. If, if I'm going to work and then coming back and training, like my, it's going to look different. I mean, right. You you just have to um, you have to accept that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah. And People I, aren't willing. To. No, I think. Um, it's it's something that's interesting too, and, and maybe maybe I, I I'm stereotyping or whatever, but I think um, a lot of uh, weightlifters uh, 
are very concerned with like what a weightlifter is supposed to be and what they're supposed to look like. Um, and, and maybe social, I'm uh, social media. Social media has destroyed the notion of incremental progress in weightlifting. And, and I think it has absolutely destroyed it. I think one of the things that is that 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 really hurts is like you said, right? Like you have this person that has a weak grip. And, and they're a weightlifter, so they're doing farmer's walks. And there would be plenty of other weightlifters out there that would have a weak grip, but wouldn't do the farmer's walk because that's not what weightlifters do. And and they right. would they would hold themselves back because they you know you typically won't see like you know Lasha or Mark Syme or any like they're not doing captains of crushed grippers on the videos. They're not doing. Any of, no. these, any of these things, but if you have a weak grip, like it has to be dealt with, right? And and I don't think that just doing more cleans and snatches is going to fix that. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's one of the biggest issues with um, with weightlifting. Like you, and you kind of see that in powerlifting and strongman too. But I think it's much more. Yeah. Uh, it's much more prominent in weightlifting and it's also very uh that's also very common in in um crossfit too like if it's if it's not a crossfit uh movement they won't go out of their way to do it unless it shows up on the website in a wad right right yeah that was it's it's really funny that you mentioned that too because i remember so like mdusa kind of got involved with crossfit a little bit more around like 2013 2012 like when crossfit really started to boom and it was interesting because at that time right before then people were just primarily doing crossfit metcons after metcons after metcons and then you know when froning started like winning and just going on a tear and crushing people people started to realize that like you had a strength coach, you had a weightlifting coach, you had a swim coach, you had all these different coaches that helped you work on the things that you sucked at. Mm -hmm. And they didn't necessarily have you doing Metcons to improve it. They literally just had you doing, you know, like I remember watching all the West side videos of Louie working with CrossFit. He didn't have him do Metcons. No. He literally would just hook them up to like a wheelbarrow or the belt squat and just have him just do a ton of shit with time under tension. Yeah. Like, it's just, yeah, weightlifting in particular, it's, it's, it's a weird dichotomy because we, as a whole, we've derived from the ancient strength sports. You know, um, weightlifting started out, for a lot of people that don't know, weightlifting started out as a six-event competition. And over the years, it's pared down to the two lifts, and there are just there are things that you just don't see from the top athletes. Like there's one I remember uh, watching a documentary on it. There's a Chinese lifter. I don't think he competes anymore, but he literally would do like max effort dips before he would do any overhead work. And it was just it was just like he literally like the video was literally of him playing ping pong for like 20 minutes and then he would just go over to the dip machine with a belt and he's sitting there just doing like a pyramid scheme essentially like he would do a set of 10 then he did a set of eight and then a set of seven and blah 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 blah, blah all the way down to where he's got like four 25 kilo plates hanging between his legs and he's trying to do a double and then he would go over and do his snatch or clean and jerk work 
And but like, but people don't see that stuff, or they don't want to accept that stuff. Like I've tried getting my lifters to do movement prep things, and it's nothing crazy. It's literally taking a hip circle, putting it around their knees, and holding a medicine ball and walking around for five minutes before you do your snatches and clean and jerks. I have to make fun of them sometimes with a meme on social media to get them to do that drill. You know, it's just, or like if I try incorporating a little bit of a circuit before they do like their strength work. Like you would think, like literally, the first words that come out of their mouth is like, "Why are we doing CrossFit?" Right. Like it's just like it. It's just, they're they're like you said. There, there's a lot of weightlifters are worried about what a weightlifter should be doing because of what they see on social media. And I try to explain to them like, it's, it, 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 social media is a highlight reel. It's not the whole story. Right. Like if you go and you you, you hang out with some of these lifters and stuff like, that, I guarantee if you go hang out with Lasha, he does some unconventional stuff. Like, I remember people, um, uh, it, it's out there on YouTube right now, Vasily Alexi, um, wood chopping, was like one of his favorite pieces of accessory work. Literally would just go out in his backyard after he was done lifting and just go chop wood for an hour. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm not saying you could get all, like, play the Rocky montage and go sit there and go find a pile of wood to chop up after you're done training, but it's just like... You just you find what works for you, and you keep doing it as you continue to get better. And then once you stop getting better, you got to find something else. And then, you know, as he got older, he started lifting in a pool. Literally, would like take his weights, drop them in a pool, and do his lifts in a pool because mm-hmm. it was easier on his joints. Yeah, you know, like it's just. But you don't hear about that kind of stuff, and it's not the sexy stuff. It's not the PRs and the, the you know the stuff like that. So it is what it is, man. Like it's just one of those deals. Like you just find what works for you meet the athlete where they are and just build from there and 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 just hope that you know they're they're able to you're able to continue to find ways for them to see progress yeah for sure uh, i want to go back to something you said um because i i actually um i've heard mixed um stories on this you said uh the the olympics started at six lifts and uh and it, yeah. and it did i'm wondering um do you know what the six lifts were because i have heard probably three or four different sets of lifts. I'm just wondering what, uh, yeah. what, um, you, what you've heard. It was, it was, so it was snatch, uh, snatch, clean and jerk, press were the main three. And then it was, I believe it was single arm snatch, left and right were considered separate events. And then the fifth lift, I believe, was a, a single arm press. Like it was like a bent press, and it was like you chose an arm. Okay. And, um, I don't know if you've ever seen. Uh, there's actually footage of this uh, on YouTube. It's from like uh, like 1913. Um, yeah. yeah, the the Russians had been banned from the Olympics um, because they get banned just whenever the every other yeah. <laughs> every other Olympics. But uh, they were banned for whatever reason, and um, they did their own, and it was called the uh, the All Russian 1913 Olympics, and they did. Uh, something like six lifts and it's hard yeah. to tell in the video um if you watch the video it's all black and white it's tough to see but yeah yeah but they did um i think they were doing some of those six lifts and and they also yeah. they did a bent press but it was with um two kettlebells yeah yeah, yeah. And, i was just gonna say yeah a lot but kettlebells the russians were really big with the kettlebells and that was part of the issue was like it depended on what part of the country you were in like the single arm snatch would be done with a kettlebell versus a dumbbell okay. because some countries didn't have access to dumbbells. So they would use kettlebells and that's why they started getting rid of them because it wasn't uniform across the yeah. board. And then throwing in another like 
curveball on you is um, certain parts of Europe back when like Norb Shemansky, um, who was one of the, 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 the best U.S. heavyweights of all time, competed. They used to do an Apollon's axle clean and press at yeah. competitions like literally the original original apollon's axle um so there was i remember I, I think it was a world championships in france they pulled it out for the heavyweights because it was like however heavy it was and they're like here's an extra x amount of money for whoever can lift this and um john shoot i can't remember his last name big black guy that davis. lifted at the same time as Shemansky, uh john davis, davis i think his name yeah. was um John Davis and Norb Shemansky were John Davis Continental cleaned it and it was a legal lift and then Norb Shemansky um actually did a split clean and then jerked it and like and then they, and then like they ended up retiring the lift because the implement was getting damaged because then then that's when Paul Anderson came onto the scene and he just freaking muscled it up to his shoulders and then pressed it overhead and stuff like that and then was just dropping it but yeah like it was just back in the day like absolute strength was king yeah I mean, yep. there's 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 records of like Norm Shemansky posting like some of his training stuff like when he worked out at a YMCA back in you know uh, uh, York, PA, and like if it, the, the, I have his uh, biography and in there is one of his pressing workouts, and the guy literally did like nothing but like five or six press variations in a workout, and that was it. That was all he did that day. Like he came in, he started out on flat bench, worked up to like a five hundred pound triple. Which, like, when you think about it, it's just like, holy crap. Then from the 500-pound triple, he did some seated shoulder presses. And then from there, he worked on his strict presses. And then he did some single-arm work, did some, you know, push-down work. And, like, he was done for the day. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's one of those things. Like, people just don't actually understand where the sport came from. Mm-hmm. And they don't embrace those parts of it. Like, I wish people, like, when uh, case in point, when MDUSA came onto the scene, people were like, oh my god, this is the first professional weightlifting team ever, and I'm like, have you ever heard of York Barbell? Right. <laughs> like, Bob Hoffman did this before anybody. Yeah. He literally had a team of weightlifters that worked in his warehouse, and then when they were done working in the warehouse, building plates and barbells, they'd go into the training hall, and they'd go get their training done, and that was essentially Team USA for the longest time, was just the York PA weightlifting You're listening to Get Strong or Die. We'll be back right after this. Introducing Get Strong AF one-on-one online coaching with Hannah the Destroyer. This coaching program is for the focused and dedicated woman who wants to get stronger and compete. You'll never be left in the dark from bi-weekly training calls to support via text and email. She has your back every step of the way. There's made-for-you training sessions, every exercise, every lift, every piece of equipment used has you and your goals in mind. And also, there's strong mindset training because we understand that strength and mindset go hand-in-hand. There will be weekly prompts, videos to up-level your mindset so when it comes to step on the competition floor, you are 100% ready. If you are interested in this, go ahead and email hannah at powerthroughmovement.net or look for more info at powerthroughmovement.net. Yeah, I think a lot of people... uh they don't know the history, and some of the history is hard to find too. I mean, it's it's not just, it's not just, like if you go be if you go you can make it to about Paul Anderson uh, pretty yeah. pretty easily. Um, anything yeah. before Paul Anderson, you ha- you have to put in some work, and then anything before that is it's more than just uh, work. You're putting in a, an effort to find um, useful and good information, right? And, 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 and I also am very understanding of the fact that not everybody had Glenn as a coach like I did. That man was a wealth of knowledge. And, like, we literally would, like, I lived with them for six months. And literally we would finish training. We would cook some steaks. 
and sit at the table and just talk about weightlifting history. And I was just like a sponge. Like I, that was before I became a, a PE teacher. Like I wanted to be a history teacher. History was my thing. And so just to hear him talk about all these different stories of like Bob Hoffman and the York Barbell guys or Norb Shemansky, like he gave me the York Norb Shemansky autobiography that I, or the, the biography that I have. It's one of my favorite books. Like I don't read. And I read, I read that thing twice now. You know, it's just, it's one of those things, like, I enjoy that stuff, and I wish there was more information. Bud Charnaga is a really good source as well. Like, he was one of the first American coaches to transcribe all the Russian documents. Um, actually, I, I, Louis Simmons talks about all the time that that's how he got the Dynamo Club text, because that's an, oh, that, that, that brings me another point. That's another one that drives me nuts about people who were shitting on Louis Simmons for his weightlifting knowledge. A lot of people don't realize that the conjugate method actually came from a Russian weightlifting club called the Dynamo Club. And people are like, conjugate's not for weightlifters. Like, no, where do you think it came from? Right. Like, it literally came from the Dynamo Club. Bud Charnaga converted the text over, and then Louis got a hold of him and developed the West Side method. Like, West Side is conjugate. Conjugate is not West Side. Right. And I try to explain that to people. So it's, And then, like, I've, I've read Louis' book on weightlifting. It's nothing earth shattering. Literally, he just says, you know, build your posterior chain up and you're going to get better at weightlifting, which he's not wrong. Right. And so it just kind of cracks me up that people are just so unwilling to let go of certain ideologies. And with just as much fervor and, and, and intensity, they're unwilling to accept other ideologies that could potentially, like a piece of it, just a piece of it, not the whole thing, could make them better, uh, better, you know a stronger athlete or just a better athlete in general. Yeah. I think, you know, it comes down. I've probably mentioned this on every other episode of my uh, podcast, but I think it comes down to the old Bruce Lee philosophy. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta take what's useful and discard the rest and then make, yeah, absolutely. Then, and then make what's there uniquely your own. And yeah, um, I, I think a lot of people are not willing to even look at something to take what's useful from it. Right. You know, like if you don't open the book, you'll never get what's useful out. Like you, you have to explore all possibilities and examine all possibilities to be the best because across the board, the best are all doing that. Like you mentioned a guy earlier, he's throwing weights in a pool because he explored a possibility that the, Hey, maybe this would be easier on my joints or this is going to have some benefit. I'm going to run with it. And if I don't like it, I can get rid of it. But obviously he liked it and he stuck with it and it's working for him. But a lot of people would just look at that as nonsense and um, would never I mean, give he was, it. He was, he was able to represent Russia in the Olympics into his 40s. So, I mean, he was doing something right. And uh, it's actually, um, you mentioned Apollon's axle in the uh, the Olympics. Um, Donnie Thompson, uh, you know, real, real uh, well-known power lifter. He talks about, uh, he actually just came out with like a, a thicker... Um, uh, bench press bar that I think he's he's selling. Yeah, I, I, ha- I have one here. Oh, very cool. Um, well, then you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the reason the reason he uh, came up with this bar was actually because of a weightlifter. He said he had read um, an article in one of the old books um, that this guy had been training with an axle for his with his cleans. And, um, yeah. and the guy said in the article, like, I'm training with an axle bar because it's harder. So when I go to the competition and I get a real bar, it's going to be easy. And and Donnie <laughs> Thompson said he got an axle bar. And it wasn't like a big apple. You know, it was a slightly yeah, yeah. smaller. Um, and it started bench pressing with it. And he said after he bench pressed with his axle bar, a regular bar felt like a twig. 
and yeah. and his bench went up. Um, yeah, you you want to hear something funny about that? Like, I used to do similar stuff. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I am no Donnie Thompson. I am no Vasily Alexiev. My best clean and jerk is 442. Like, that is it, okay? So everybody needs to calm down. <laughs> but <clears throat> when we were at MDUSA, we had to lift on MDUSA equipment, obviously, because they wanted us to market it for them. And their first run of their bearing barbells, one of the barbells, they screwed up the knurling to the point where, and but when I mean screw up, like there's almost no knurling on this bar at all. And I was looking at the bar and I always prided myself on having a strong grip because I, I, I just posted a video yesterday of me. I finally started doing heavy kettlebell snatch work again and stuff like that. And I was, that was always just my thing. Like I loved heavy kettlebells before I got with Glenn and Cal strength and stuff like that. Like he has a video of me doing swings with a 200 pound kettlebell and things like that. And so I saw the bar, I put my hands on it, and I'm like, can I have this bar? And they're like, yeah, we'll just put it on your platform, like it'll be your bar in the training hall and blah, 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 blah. And I, I have the bar, I still have the bar in my gym. Like when, the, when MDSA closed down, a couple of my buddies grabbed a bar for me and I paid them to like ship it to me. And my lifters all gravitate towards that bar and it cracks me up because there's no knurling on this thing pretty much. Like it, you can see the knurling on there, but it's not rough at all like it is almost you might as well have a bare blank bar and my whole thought process was if i can make lifts on this bar in training like when i go to a competition a bar with a little more grip a little bit of a sharper knurling with some bite is going to be just absolutely nothing to me mm -hmm. and it was funny to me because I, I love the guy to death but one of my training partners had a really weak grip but he would never train with me he goes i can't hold on to your bar like, I hate that bar. Like, I refuse to lift on it. I have no idea why you keep using it or whatever. And it just, it, it kind of cracks me up that it comes full circle because, like, my lifters aren't at that point yet where they know the difference between bars, but they all grab it and they all love it. Yeah. And they all use it and stuff like that. But, yeah, it was, just, it was just funny. But I used to do the same thing. Like, I had researched why the Chinese only lifted with, like, blue and green and yellow plates. And essentially was they wanted to make the center of mass as long as possible so the lift was harder for them. And so I started doing the same thing in training. Like I, heard, I mean, I also was told by John and Donnie when I was, like, my very first day at MDUSA or at Cal Strength, I wasn't allowed to use the red plates because I was the rookie. So there was that as well, but I also used, you know, the green and the, the reds and the, and, and the blues because it made the bar longer and it, it, it pushed the weight out further from the sleeves and it just made things harder on me. So I just, I, I, and as soon as Donnie Thompson posted about the bar, the guy that makes them, um, Rob Heselton, literally lives like 10 minutes from the gym. And so I called him as soon as I was like, let me know when you have another, you know, run of those because I want one. And I use it for my MOS training. I don't do any um, um, clean work without the axle bar. Um, my power lifters that are in here, they use it for their benching and stuff and all their pressing and stuff like that. And then my, my two strongman athletes, they use it all the time. Like, it's a great bar. I love it. But I just, I love that concept of, and that's kind of how I train my athletes, is I try to make training way harder than anything you're going to see in the competition because, you know, competition is supposed to be the fun part and the training part is not supposed to be as fun. Yeah, and we do the same thing here, I, and and a lot I get a lot of fight back for it. You know, people, oh, I want to use the exact equipment. I want, you know, you got to do the exact thing. I want to know what it feels like, and I'll, and it just drives me nuts. But yeah, I think if you do the more difficult method, even if you're not accustomed to the other thing, 
if the other thing is easier, it's not going to matter because it's going to yeah. be, it's going to be easier. Um, like I, I will shame any of my lifters for using a deadlift bar. <laughs> yeah. Cause we have like ridiculously stiff bars at the gym and I'm like, yeah. use the stiff bar. And then when you get the deadlift bar, it's like Christmas, you know? And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, and we, we do that with everything. And uh, we do a lot of beltless training cause it's like, yeah. Now there there is a little bit, you know, you do have to learn to use a belt. So there there's that. Right. But once once they know once you know how to use it, it's kinda like riding a bike, right? And we right. we take it away at a certain forget. point. You don't forget. Yeah. But but if you can if you can do something without a belt, then you know damn well you can do more with the belt. And it's the same right. with right. same with straps or or sleeves or wraps or suits or whatever the case is. Um you know, I just think that's a smarter way to do it, and and um, For sure. and you never know. Uh, you could go to, and I, I think weightlifting is very standardized, and they're very on top of their game, like way more so than sure. way more than powerlifting and strongman. Like they're on yeah. point. Yeah. But you don't know; they could misload a bar. I mean, I, you could get a bar that's misloaded. Um, you could get. Uh, they could have a bar that. It could say Elico on it, but that doesn't mean it's not gummed up and doesn't rotate. Um, or or maybe- that happens a lot at local competitions. Local competitions, like my, I have lifters that all clamor for the Elico bars, and I'm like, "What are you going to do if we go to a competition and they don't have one?" Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or like, or or if, or like if the only one they have is on the competition platform, and you have to warm up with something else. Like, are you going to protest the meet? Right. You're going to leave. <laughs> yeah. It, but. But even even if even if it's an Elico bar, it can get gummed up. Like you still have to clean yeah. those bars, so it could have no rotation. And now you've yeah. trained on the perfect bar, and you show up at this yeah. meet, and the bar's not perfect. You're screwed. Right. So if if, right. You, if you train on the worst bar on a bad bar, and then you go to the competition and it's a bad bar, it's like, well, I've done this a hundred times. And if, right, right, right. if it turns out to be a great bar, then it's like. Well, hell, this is easy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and uh, I, you know, it's it's like that with everything, right? Like you just, yeah. you want, you shouldn't train ideally because it's not. It's. Well, I'm not going to say all. Like there are certain times, like if you're trying to hit a training max or something along those lines, like yeah. sure, you know. But like it, it, it only benefits you to at least periodically train in, um, you know detrimental uh circumstances you know yeah Um, i'm I'm a big believer in that yeah um so let's switch gears i want to talk moss wrestling for a minute because um moss wrestling is uh uh, one of my favorite activities um and it gets a lot of heat in the strongman community everybody screams danger and you're gonna it's stupid it's dangerous blah 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 um and um, I find it very interesting that uh, a weightlifter is doing it, to be honest. I think that yeah. that is wild to me. Uh, so that's really yeah. cool. I want to get your perspective um, on, like, what do you think the risk is? Do you think it's any more dangerous than running a yoke or bench pressing? Um, what are your thoughts no. on that? Oh, my God, no. It's, 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 it's a skill. Like, if you don't practice the skill, you're going to get hurt. Like, I'm not going to just sign up for a strongman contest that has a yoke and never touch a yoke a day in my life. Like, I literally had that happen last year. And I was like, I've never touched one of these. I don't know how to do it. So I went and I found a gym that had a yoke, and I went and I practiced on it. Like, 
Did I go all the way up to the weight that was contest weight? I don't know because I don't know how heavy the freaking yoke was. But like I pushed it as hard as I could because I wanted to see how my body was going to react to it. It's the same thing with Moss Wrestling. Um, actually, I, I was talking to Michael Struzis about it. Uh, he's a pro strongman. Um, he's, he, he does it. He just competed in World's Strongest Logger. He's going to be in my weight division at the Arnold, and I've been talking to him a lot and stuff like that, and he just says the same thing I do. Like, if you're not prepared for it, yeah, you're going to get hurt. I, I mean, my first international competition, I tore my hamstring because my hamstrings were not in shape for mass wrestling. Like, I had only worked on the pulling portion. I never worked on getting folded over and trying to pull from that position. So, you know what I did for, like, the next, you know, six months until my next competition was I literally did a ton of hamstring accessory work, and I worked on getting strong in that folded over position. Like... Um, honestly, I think weightlifting has a great carryover to it. I think weightlifting has a better carryover to it than powerlifting or strongman. Um, if I'm being 100% honest, just the quick, intense, like, bursts of speed that you need. Um, and it was just one of those things, like, I just really freaking enjoyed it. I, I like I said, I liked it. I, I, that's what I liked about throwing. Um, weightlifting kind of annoyed me a little bit. I tell people this all the time. I hated competing in weightlifting. I liked training weightlifting, but I hated competing because you only got three attempts and you were done. You know, like it just same thing for powerlifting. Like strongman, like there's a bunch of events. Highland Games, it's a bunch of events. Like moss wrestling, you got a couple of opponents. Like there's just plenty of opportunity to prove that your training paid off. And weightlifting, I just never felt like I got that chance to show my training. And that could also be on me. I just, I'm just mediocre shit lifter. Like who knows? But Moss wrestling was just one of those things. Like I, I, I got into it by an accident. I signed up for a strongman contest at the Fit Expo, and I showed up on the wrong day. And I met Chad Clark, and he was like, "Hey, we're doing Moss wrestling. If you want to give it a shot." And I was like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" The first person I ever went up against was Euless Paint. You want to know how that went? Like I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I literally just said to him, I was like, don't throw me too far. And he didn't. He only threw me like five feet past them. But like, it was just one of those things. Like, but, but after that, I was hooked. I was like, yeah, this is fun. So then I started researching how to train it. And like, if you've seen my little apparatus that I've built over the years to train it, like, it's just, it's, it's fun, dude. Like, I, I have a blast on it. But I actually just wrote an article for Barbend on it. And pretty much I said, like, you have to be able to move your feet. You have to have strong and flexible hamstrings, and you need to train time under tension because that was the one thing. Like, it's really funny that you mentioned that you like prefer the longer matches because, in my experience, what I've seen with a lot of new people in the sport is they're not trained to do anything longer than 10 seconds, like a deadlift. Even if you grind out a deadlift, it's only going to take you about 10, 15 seconds. You know, like, uh, uh, same thing with a heavy squat or something like that. But, like, Moss Wrestling, like, the matches can take over 30 seconds. Like, if you end up with somebody, like, it's literally like you are deadlifting from a deficit. And at the same time, somebody's on the other side at equal or greater strength than you trying to do the same damn thing. Like, you're going to end up in a stalemate. Like, it's, it, and, and if your body is not conditioned for that... Yeah, you're gonna hurt yourself, and I, I, I do see a lot of strongmen complaining and carrying on and whining about it and stuff like that. And it's like they either train it as much as you do your log presses and your stones and stuff like that, or don't do the contest. Like those are really your only two options. And I think you know they do. They whine and cry, and it, it's really sad to me. I think um, you know you think strongman and you think 
these people are probably the toughest people in the world, and it's just not the case. But um, yeah. but you know, here nor there. That I think, though, they're scared of it. They're scared of sitting down and looking across at another human being, and it's okay to be afraid of that. Um, yeah. What I don't think is okay is to not be honest about it and then scare other people away by saying that this activity right. is dangerous. Right. And I actually hate that um, strongman. Like you, you hit on a good point. Like I love the sport of strongman. I've been watching it with my dad since I was a little kid, and it was like part of the reason I started to like work out and stuff like that. I hate that they don't have the person-to-person contact or uh, combat anymore. Like I remember they used to do the tug of war. Or they used to do the pole push or the sumo wrestling. I remember watching Kazmaier just whipping people's ass in the sumo wrestling. Guys that were like twice his size. Yeah. I don't. I, I think people like the notion of being strong when it comes to an inanimate object, but the adversity of being strong against another human being absolutely terrifies them. Myself included. That was the part of the reason. Like. I, I, I was kind of nervous about the mass wrestling because I'm like, what if I get beat by a girl or somebody smaller than me? Like, what does that mean about all this time I've spent training? You know? Yeah. And I feel like some people, like, newsflash to everybody that's involved in Strongman, your current reigning world's strongest man is a world champion in mass wrestling. Yeah. Like, that's how we got going. Like, yeah. it's just one of those things. Like, I feel like, honestly, those, those Strongman athletes that thrive in that person-to-person combat type setting are honestly truly your strongest of strong. like they're just they're not afraid of any challenge and yeah it, it is a shame that like some people just they shy away from it and they claim it's because of the injury rate or it's this or that when at the end of the day they don't want to get beat and they don't want to look vulnerable in front of other people yeah and i think i think you made a good point like you you have to train it um and you said, you know, train it as much as you do your log. Well, how yeah. oft, how often is somebody training a log press? I mean, I don't know too many people that are doing log press more than twice a week. Usually once, but right. I mean, if you're right. if you're pressing log three times a week, I want to know who you are. <laughs> um, right, right. You know, so it doesn't take a lot of time to to get good. Um, yeah, and we're talking strongman, right? We're not talking. You're going to Russia. We're talking. Strongman. So it's not like the chances of you going to a strongman event and and running into like uh, I'm going to use the word professional, although you know um, a professional moss wrestler. No, you're running into a bunch of people that had just as much time to prepare as you did. Right. Um, right. You know, like when Kazmaier and them did sumo wrestling, there was nobody there that was a sumo wrestler. Yeah. You know, and you just you just made do and. Yeah. And it's like you said, when you prepared for Moss wrestling, you knew you had to strengthen your hamstrings. You had to be able to get into those positions. Well, those are only things that's going to make you better at everything else, right? I mean, nobody right. ever nobody I, ever said, my hamstrings are just too strong. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, honestly, it's, 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 Moss wrestling has gotten to the point now where it's, like, so I follow a more conjugate approach with my training, and Moss wrestling has worked its way. It is now a third movement, fourth movement, if you would. Um, I do back squat, box squat, sumo, conventional deadlift, and then Moss wrestling has become a third form of pulling for me, and I rotate it in. 
Like, so yeah, I'm not doing it. Like when I'm really far out from a competition, I'm not doing it every week. Right. I'm not doing it every day or something like that. I do it once a week, maybe once every two or three weeks. And it's just, it's different. It's a yeah. different stimulus. It, it works the body in a different way. And as long as you're not stupid, you ain't going to get hurt doing it. Yeah, and that's the other thing too, right? Like um, you mentioned a yoke earlier, and you said when you went and prepared for the yoke, you you don't even think you went to competition weight, and, and you carried it, and you wanted to see how your body would react to it, and you tested the waters. Um, well, these people, because they have no concept of um, the, the combat aspect, right? And it, it's like if me and you, if I if I came to you and, and I had never done it, and and you're going to show me, and I'm like, well, I'm going to go 100 percent with Tom here. Well, right. I mean, I'm probably going to get hurt in training, right? I mean, that's just stupid. It's like I'm not going to go to a boxing gym and go 100% if I've never done it before. Yeah. Um, you you're, have not, to, you're not sparring 10 rounds right off the bat. Right. You have to treat it like anything else and ease into it, and and then you have to train it uh, because it is combative. You have to train it like a mix between strength training and combative. So you're going right. to have to do drills. You're going to have to – you're going to have to take it easy. You're going to have to, uh, whether whatever program you're doing, it's got to be somewhat periodized in some way, shape, or form right, to, to right, acclimate right. you to it. And um, if you do all those things, do I think it's more dangerous than some other events? Well, sure. You know, I mean, there's so many events in Strongman. I could write a list and, and organize them by risk versus reward, sure. Um, and, and Moss Wrestling would be more dangerous than some events, but... I can tell you right now that I think that um, really heavy yoke carries is more dangerous than moss wrestling. Um, oh, I agree. And, and I might even argue that bench press is more dangerous than uh, oh yeah, absolutely than, than moss wrestling. Uh, now you know if it's a sandbag throw, of course that's not you know who who gets hurt throwing a sandbag, right? But right, right, right. You know, I mean, but we're in a game where I mean danger is is there. I mean, you, you can get hurt at training. Yeah. You can get hurt driving to the gym. I mean, I just don't understand, uh, where, where this all is. Uh, well, I, I kind of do understand where it's coming from. I just think it's a shame that people are going to scare people away and go online and, um, ruin the reputation of something. Um, not because of facts, but because they're, they're simply scared to do the activity. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. All good points. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I, th- I think we're pretty much on the same page with, with most of that stuff, and I, I just think it's a yeah. shame that people are um, trying to, to ruin the reputation of this sport. And if it, it really is a shame, too, when you get involved with it because <clears throat> the sport has um, some very interesting um, history and, and, like, a unique yeah. cultural aspect to it. And it's also one of Dude, those things... It. I'm sorry, what? No, I was going to say, getting to go over to Russia probably solidified for me like that it's one of the cooler sports i've competed into like how that whole and it's not like what people don't realize is like this little it's a little like town in the middle of nowhere in russia that the sport came from but it's like their super bowl when they host worlds like i I know i've posted a ton of video and stuff about it but like they just you know like they, they literally filled like this gigantic stadium for the world championships and it was like nothing i've ever experienced in my life like it was pretty dang cool. Probably how an NFL or a Major League Baseball player feels, or something like that. But it's just yeah, like it's it's got a lot of cultural roots and stuff like that. And it's kind of a shame that it just hasn't really picked up steam here in the U.S. yet. But I'm, I'm I'm hoping in the next like five years or so, maybe it will. Yeah, and it's one of those things where um, I, I don't know if uh, 
like music, right? Like they 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 uh, they look back at like some of the first um, pieces of music in different regions, and they're very similar. Yeah. Like like human beings have like the similar mindset across the world. Yep. And moss wrestling yep. um, is one of those things where it you know it dates back to this little spot in Russia, but later on it sprung up without Russian influence in other areas. Yeah, and um, yeah, Scotland and, yeah. Uh, and Norway had a, had their own versions of it. Yeah, and I think that's that's pretty cool, you know. I mean, like across the world, people understood like, hey, this is a test of strength. Without yeah. without influence from other people, it's like we were drawn to it as a person in its simplicity, and um, and and it, it's really cool. And um, yeah, and and I also suspect I don't know this for sure, but I know a lot of the combative um, sports that, that aren't like actually fighting. Um, are, were developed as training drills for some yeah. sort of uh, larger combative activity. Um, and I suspect moss yeah. wrestling was probably used by um, Russian warriors of some sort to uh, yeah, train and, and determine rankings and, and whatnot. Yeah, it was it was essentially like they used it in the villages to determine like who were the good like fighters and who mm-hmm. weren't. Yeah, and I think I think that's pretty cool too. Like now, tell me if. If if you're the the head of, of said village and and you're trying to determine who the strongest warriors are, are you right. are you going to determine that with some game that is highly destructive, like where your best warriors are going to hurt each other? Is that how right, you're going right. to determine that? I don't think so. I think that alone tells you that this is not that risky of a venture. Because exactly. because you're not going to take your best war general and be like, hey man, risk blowing your bicep out, like fighting this guy for a second to determine if you can keep right. rank. It just doesn't make yeah, any, exactly. it doesn't make any sense, you know. It's just like um, with arm wrestling. Um, arm wrestling was actually a drill for uh, samurai and sword fighting, and um, yeah, yeah. it's like you're not going to take your best fighters and put them at risk. Um, you know, obviously there is a risk, but you're not going to put them right. at, at some extreme risk. Um, when they may have to go out here on the battlefield like tomorrow. Well, it's like the it's like the full Sturker Stone at in Iceland. Like the stone just determined what portion of the day's earnings you got. They're not going to sit there and just wreck their fishermen and then take them out to the boat that because after they destroyed themselves on a stone, like it's literally just like okay, can you lift that? Okay, you get a full portion today. Right. Like yeah, it's all these different it's all these different like manhood challenges and stuff like that. They're not meant to completely like eradicate people from existence like they're just meant to be like okay are you worthy or not like that's all we're trying to determine here if you can do it great if you can't like no big deal like try again next time yeah i wish more people had that uh mentality um well we're about 90 minutes in we're gonna have to cut this uh cut this off but i definitely want to get you um back on i think we have a lot more to um discuss and, and absolutely and hopefully i can make it out to uh Chicago, we can do this in person next time. And, yeah, that'd be cool. And then, of course, I'll, I'll see you in um, what three three weeks at the Arnold. Three weeks, three weeks out. Very cool. So, um, if you have any advice for anyone um, wanting to get into weightlifting, uh, like what's what's like the the advice, the 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 bottom line. Bottom line: find a coach around. Find a coach around you that is uh, USAW certified. Um, they've, they've they've done a huge overhaul of 
making sure that their their, their coaching instruction courses and everybody that's involved in USAW has the right education and the right tools at their disposal. Um, don't find a CrossFit coach. Don't find somebody who used to compete. Find somebody who is USAW certified and runs a USAW club. They're going to be your best bet. Cool. And, and I, I'm guessing you are USAW certified. And um, get- I actually. I actually teach the level one court, the level one coaching courses in the area. Okay, very cool. So, if people were yeah. interested, um, since since you're here, how do they contact um, you? What's the easiest way to get a hold of you? Uh, either find me on Instagram. I'm Strength Coach Soroka. Just my name, Tom Soroka, on Facebook, uh, or you can check out the gym stuff. It's just www.thestrengthagenda, uh, the Strength Agenda on Facebook, or um, at the Strength Agenda on Instagram. Like we're, we post a ton of content on there um, throughout the day and, and weeks and stuff like that. And there, there's no shortage of ways to get a hold of us. I'm pretty active on my Instagram, mostly for business purposes. I try to answer every comment and I try to answer every DM that I get just to make sure people are, uh, I can help somebody in some form or fashion. Very cool. Um, yeah. So very easy to get a hold of a lot of different avenues. Um, USAW certified teaches the classes, um, clean and jerk 442. Um, he doesn't think that's impressive, but I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, very cool stuff. Uh, hopefully some people will, will come your way and, uh, and start, cool. um, start cleaning and snatching and stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I appreciate you having me on, man. I appreciate talking shop like this. It's always, it's always cool to find like-minded people just to shoot the shit on. Yeah, man. I agree. Like I said, I definitely want to get you back on and we'll do this again. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank you one more time uh, for, for taking the time out of your day to do this. Wow, man. Anytime. John the Viking, Mauser, get strong or die. This episode is brought to you by Mauser Strength Dynamics one-on-one online coaching. So if you are looking for a satisfaction guarantee and you want to win competitions or maybe you're constantly suffering from injuries and you don't know where to turn, or maybe you're just looking for some one-on-one support from a world-class strength coach, then Mauser Strength Dynamics is the coaching for you. So if you want more information, then find John at John the Viking Mauser on Facebook or at Mauser Strength on Instagram.